Well, once again, it's a real privilege to stand here, and you certainly sing well. I appreciated the way you sang that last song. We're going to also begin with prayer, and I'd like to ask uh, um, Brother Ryan to give prayer for us as we stand, and I'd like us all to recite together reverently the Lord's Prayer at the close of Ryan's prayer. O oh Lord, we come before you just now this morning, thou we thank you and praise you. All the men down the blessings you shall down on this Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to see Jesus. And you have come down and touched our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would continue working in our lives beyond today and tomorrow, but Lord, just as we go about our various duties rest of our lives. Lord, I pray that we won't forget this time with you. Um, keep it close here. Lord, we pray you do the, the graphic just now as he tries, tries to preach out of your word. Lord, give him the words to say. Yes, Lord, we know it will be good. Lord, we thank you for keeping us safe. In the of your hand. We ask the soul in Jesus' name. He taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to start with a little story that's kind of tender. It may not have really happened. It may be a parable. It's the story of Amos and Boaz, and maybe you've heard it before. But Amos and Boaz were two old-time farmers that that, uh, farmed together and they raised wheat, grain. And they went out and sowed the fields together in the springtime. And then they watched the grain grow. And when it came harvest time, they put in their sickles and they harvested the grain together. And at the end of the day, they divided the grain, share and share alike. A pile over on one side of the field for Amos a pile over in the other side of the field for Boaz. And that night, Amos began to think in his tent. He said, it isn't right that I should have an equal share of the harvest when Boaz has children to feed and a wife to support. And he said, I have no one. I'm alone. They need more than I do. And he went out in the middle of the night and he gathered up an armload of sheaves and he carried them over to Boaz's side. And the same night later, Boaz couldn't sleep. He began to think, poor Amos. He, when he gets old, he won't have anyone to take care of him. He said, I've got little children and a dear wife that will care for me. It's not right that I should have 
as many sheaves, an equal share, with Amos. And so he got up and he got a big armload of sheaves and from his pile and he carried it over to Amos's pile. The next night, they had the same feeling. And they did the same thing. And they carried sheaves over to each other's pile. And the third night, they went to do the same thing. And Amos heard someone out ahead of him. Someone in the field. And he realized who it was and that he was carrying a big bundle of sheaves. They realized what they were doing. And they simply fell into each other's arms because of the love they shared. They truly uh, felt that each loved other better than themselves. We're going to talk about sharing today, and I guess that's an evidence of sharing. And it, a, a good um, demonstration of sharing, if we can only share that way. Not share and share alike necessarily, but share according to need. And we've been given so much. There's a couple of other things I want to share that may not be as related to the subject, but one that's related to us overall here, young people. We have it, we call it Miwok Village. It's a little community and there was where we had our church until we kind of outgrew it and we built down lower at, ele at lower elevation. Miwok is up about 5,000 feet and they have beautiful pines and cedars and fir trees Huge trees, a couple of hundred feet tall. And uh, there is where we had our school for 21 years, 22 years, I guess it was. And uh, in that schoolyard, there's a tree. It's a special kind of tree. It starts like over at that wall. And it bends sideways. And it comes over about to where I'm standing, and it goes up. I don't know how high, maybe 100, 150 feet. It's a huge tree. What happened to that tree to make it do that? They say some, uh, some trees were bent as, uh, as a, an, a sign of a trail by the Indian people when they were before the white men came. I don't know. We don't have any idea how that tree got bent. But the fact of the matter is it got bent when it was young. And it always showed that bend. But the best part is that it grew up straight again. And I think somehow that can refer to us as young people. You know, we have things happen that may affect us all our lives. But there's mercy of God that allows us to become tall, straight trees. As a glory to God. Sometimes we can't get rid of the scars. Sometimes it bends our lives in such a way that it will always show. But it won't hinder us from growing to be tall, straight trees. And I hope that this is a Bible school that will, um, if we need straightening, it will straighten us out. And uh, make us good, tall, straight trees for the Lord. Another thing I wanted to share that maybe is a little bit beside the point, but uh, I appreciated the brethren sharing the value of the Word of God. How special it is. And I know that this book is made of paper and leather, just like this one is, or just like maybe some that aren't as valuable in itself. But inside is the Word of God. 
It's not in the letters. It's not in the printing. It's not in the paper. It's in the Spirit of God inside here. But because of that, I like to see this put on top. I like to remember that this is more valuable than other books simply because it has the words of God in it. Not because of its paper, not because it's beautifully bound with leather, but because it's the Word of God given by the Spirit of God. We taught in school. We put The Bible was one of our textbooks and there were many others in the, the uh, same desk. And I insisted that they keep their Bible on top and not bury it under the others. I guess I'd like to make another little criticism too. I don't like to see books on the floor and I'm not going to ask you to pick them up because some people don't care about this. This is one of my hang-ups and I guess it's a hang-up. But we talked to Sister Vera Overholt and she was one that was instrumental. She and her husband and her family produced that Christian hymnary. And at one of the Roxbury uh, memorials of that hymn book, of the the publishing of it, there were many of those books left on the floor. And she just mourned. She said they don't realize how much work went into the producing of that book. And that could be said probably of just about all books. Don't, Don't think I'm criticizing. Most people put their books on the floor, but I don't like it. I like to hold books up. Books are valuable. Books can teach us things. All right, let's get into sharing here. I'd like to pardon? Yes, I did. Thank you. I'm so forgetful. This handout will be my last one, of course, and it will be about sharing. You fellows want to pass them out? Thank you, Pete. If you wouldn't have said that, my wife would have sent me sent me a note. While they're passing this out, I'd like to read this. It's something I kind of wondered whether to read because it says God needs men. Maybe you've read this before. It's kind of about older men, so maybe we have to reduce some of these statements. This is actually written um, by Denny Keniston. God needs men, men who will stand before His face and hear His voice daily, men who have no desire for anyone or anything other than God Himself. Men who fear Him so greatly that they love righteousness and hate iniquity in all their ways. Men who would rather die than sin, even in their thoughts or attitudes. God needs men. Men whose daily lifestyle is one of taking up the cross and pressing on to perfection. Men who are full of the Holy Ghost, rooted and grounded in Calvary-type love. Men whose hearts are clothed with a humility that neither human praise nor spiritual growth can remove. Men who tremble at God's Word and would not neglect to obey the smallest commandment. God needs men. Men who are firm, diligent, and hardworking, yet they can relax and enjoy playing with their children. That's the one I thought maybe didn't quite apply to you young people. Men who know the joys of a disciplined life and are not afraid of hardships. Men who have mastered their desire for fancy food and are not enslaved to music, sports, 
or any other legitimate activity. God needs men. Men who are so deeply rooted in the security and love of their Heavenly Father that they tremble not at man or devil. Men who trust God in all matters and rest in His almighty, sovereign power. Men who find their joy and their delight in God alone and are full of the joy of the Lord. God needs men. Men who live by the promptings of God's Spirit and deny their own desires. Men who live constantly under the anointing of God's Spirit, endowed with gifts from above. Men who can trust God for all their needs, who never hint about their material needs, nor ever boast about their labors. God needs men. Men who are not stubborn, but gentle, open to criticism and correction from other brethren. Men who can never be induced by wife, children, relatives, or friends to cool off even slightly in their devotion to Christ. God needs men. Men who never compromise but stand alone for the truth without fear or favor of men. Men who will train their children to the glory of God and preserve a godly seed on the earth. Men who discern all of life from heaven's point of view and make decisions in the light of eternity. God needs men. Men who pray effectual fervent prayers with an unceasing faith. Men who labor for the glory of God, not for earthly treasures or earthly honors. God needs men who burn with passion. God needs men who, with spiritual authority. God needs men of Christ-like character. Oh God, our God in this our day, raise up men who walk this way. Help us to pray. Help us to wail until the gaps are filled each day. I've been inspired by that writing. I would like us to say our First, our Second Timothy 2.15 together. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Could we sing it one time more? Not as a round, but... Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth. Good. Men that don't need to be ashamed. Unashamed workmen. And the fact that it says workmen means that these are men who labor. These are men who work. And we work unashamed. Unashamed of the gospel like Paul was unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And unashamed that we could stand out for him like you did last night. I didn't see anyone ashamed last night. In fact, I think it was a little bit more enthusiasm and maybe a little bit more boldness that really was needed. Yet, I don't want to criticize for that. But when we uh, meet, we want to have a humility that goes along with it, not shame. We, uh, um, we went out unashamed, I'm sure. <clears throat> Some wanted us to uh, mention about Jackson. Jackson was a young man that maybe most of you saw. We prayed for him. Martha and I encountered him first, and we thought probably we prayed for him, but we thought it was probably the end. I tried to testify to him, and, and he said, I'd like to hear more, but I thought he meant he was going to go on. Well, he didn't go on very far because he came back and then was with the group of us, uh, Brother Merle and, and several others, and uh, uh, Brother Merle said the seed was planted, but others watered too. And I guess we did kind of plant the seed there to begin with. But when he came back, a number of us ministered to him. 
And it turned out that he was very knowledgeable in the, the scriptures in a way, that is, he seemed to recognize when we quoted the scriptures to him, and he seemed to sing the hymns. But he had never committed his life to Christ, and he acknowledged this. In the course of our praying and admonishing him, everyone around the circle prayed for him, and finally he prayed and asked God for forgiveness. And we just trust that he did give his heart to the Lord and that the Lord did hear and answer with his new life. He's going to need help. We got his email address and I hope that that man will be one of God's faithful servants. Um, He was very knowledgeable in languages. I think he had five or six languages that he knew fluently. He was studying biology there at the university. A man that seemed quite humble and willing to hear. Well, in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, it says, And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. And I want to sing that song again, too. Number 635. Freely, freely. We sang this the first day that we came, I believe. It won't hurt to sing it twice in this week. Still have Brother Kurt's pitch pipe here. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name I come to you to share his love as he told me to. to go out and freely give. We've received so much and we're asked to to give freely. I hope that can be on our hearts as, as I attempt to counsel you to give and share. All power is given in
of the apostles to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and it seemed to be limited to that at that time he wanted to uh, have the witness to Israel first but then the Lord's will was that it would go out to all nations to Gentiles and if it wouldn't have been that way it wouldn't have come to us we're Gentiles as far as I know I don't think I don't think anyone can prove I'm a Jew some claim that uh, they might have a little bit but The fact is that God has welcomed all nations and he has commanded us to preach to all nations. We are sent like they were sent. And it says, Jesus in that quotation said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm kind of tempted to talk about baptism here, but that's not my subject. Just remember, there's all kinds of baptisms. We encountered a man yesterday that believed they should only baptize in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's not a big thing. I would like to study that out more, but... I think the mode is not the important part. It's when we're baptized by the Spirit of God and made new creatures in Christ Jesus. But we are sent. We are sent just like those apostles were sent. And we need to be willing to share. We've been given so much. Natural things. Yes, we're to share natural things. There are are scriptures about that. Paul wanted one church to be ready to give like I believe they were ready in Achaia, I believe. Achaia was the southern part of Greece, and it included Corinth. <clears throat> I don't have all that quite straight in my mind. But he wanted uh, the people there to give, and they sent uh, help to the saints in Jerusalem. And we are to give uh, materially too, and uh, labor, but we are also to give out <clears throat> the gospel. I'm certainly blessed by the young people in our community, my grandsons especially, help me. Like when we're gone, there's a grandson and his father doing our chores. And a couple of times, I raise a little hay and it doesn't amount to much, but it becomes quite a big job for one person. And twice now, the young folks have come in and harvested my hay and they had a good time doing it. But it uh, was a benefit to me. The message of salvation, that's what needs to go out. And I have the notation here in Lamentations 3.27. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I'm not sure exactly what the writer here had in mind, but I believe it could be um, emphasized that he is, he is, that he, it's good for him to bear the yoke in natural things and also 
in developing and sharing spiritual things in your youth. It's good, it says. It's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. For a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now there's a, a saying that I've put down here. We share all the time and sometimes we use words. When I first heard that, I thought, boy, that's kind of good because the emphasis is on our life. I like a little discussion on this. Is that a good expression? Do we have to be careful with it? Yes. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) Okay, probably did then. Okay, what do we think about that? I personally don't like it. You don't like it? Well, I've come to wonder about it too. Why don't you like it? We're just the very essence of preaching the gospel. It would be necessary to use words. But it doesn't negate the need for it to be lived out. Yeah. And your preaching may be in vain if it's not real in your life, but you're still going to need to tell them. Probably the reason I don't like it is because I don't believe that people even know what a Christian looks like and they think that you witness is a smile or being modestly dressed, though that's important, isn't necessarily telling me you're a Christian. I mean, modestly dressed nice people that aren't Christians. And so I feel like it is necessary to use words. Okay. That's some of my feeling, too. Okay. I would agree with that. I was just talking to some of my friends because they wasn't raised with plain people, but you could see them around. I didn't ever see someone in a dress and a covering and want to get down and pray. Like, I didn't know what that was. Do you have something here? I have a verse. Um, Vision 6.19 And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make my Mm -hmm. The Lord's ordained by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Yes, Joe. Well, I feel like that statement just refers to the power of example. And we aren't talking all the time. Uh, sometimes we're, we're uh, maybe someone observes our life driving. I think if it's only an example without words to back it up, it could be a confusing message. But I'd like to say, let's not give 50-50, let's give 100% of those. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I see you have stuff out here, it's on the land. Okay, you can uh, you can comment on that. Uh, <laughs> I think that because of this statement, we've heard this a lot, and uh, I think because of that, we have become silent in the land. You know, we we want to live what the Bible teaches, and so we try to do that, and we want to look right, and so we we're living out the gospel, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. doing that, we we're doing our mm-hmm. job. But that's not all of it. So, like like she just said that I may preach boldly the, the gospel of Christ. Right, right. Um, the silent in the land may have come from persecution. I don't know for sure, but they may have been kind of forced into silence. Whenever they opened their mouths, they were in trouble. But I, I don't know for sure. But I, I don't want to discount this statement because I think the intent of it is that we need to live out the gospel. And we do use words too. 
let's let's um, take it for the way it was meant. I can criticize it too, and I do in my own mind. It's not an excuse for not speaking out. It's not an excuse for testifying, for not testifying uh, what God has done for us. I've mentioned the this tremendous response to the disaster in Haiti. I just. I guess we just have to be pleased to see all the people that went down there, including Brother Joe and maybe some of the rest of you have been there. A lot of people from our community went and and uh, dollars and supplies were poured into that country. But I'm thinking about particularly the people. Some of those people were trapped in, in uh, probably in darkness with their feet mangled and yet they couldn't get out. And this is for days. I had just a little bit of a taste of that. I say trapped in a tr- by a tree. I was out uh, cutting a tree off from off my fence. It had fallen across my fence and I had to get rid of the tree. And uh, I went in to eat lunch and came back not remembering that a large section of the tree, I guess about that big around, it was heavy, was resting on one of the fence posts. And the top was in, in uh, another tree. And I went to stupidly drive a staple into that fence post. I reached around and held back of the post. It was kind of a weak post. And all of a sudden, that thing came down right on my, my arms. My arm was through the fence. And it drove me to, the, to my knees. I had to think about it when we were on our knees and with our faces to the ground. That's the position I was in. And I realized almost immediately that I'm not going anywhere. I can't get out. My arm was... Was, had a, a wire across it here and it soon became numb and it wasn't too long before I could not move a finger I couldn't feel anything in my hand and I thought oh, I'm going to lose that arm this goes on very long well it was three hours and finally my wife didn't miss me because I'd gone out there to work I was out in the corner of our place and I called I called loudly and there were people not too far away um, a recovery ranch and people take a, a walk through there sometimes but nobody came the only one that heard me was God and I had to wonder why he didn't deliver me a little sooner because I sure would like to have got out sooner I began to get uh, lightheaded and, and uh, I guess I was in shock but finally when my son came home from work uh, Martha told him she said I don't know where daddy is he hasn't been in for a while and so he came out with a four wheeler And I can't describe the relief that I felt when I heard that four-wheeler coming because I hadn't heard any any sign of help before that. And he called back to uh, my wife and said, uh, Daddy's out here stuck for three hours. And she thought he meant the tractor (laughs) that was stuck. But uh, he said, no, he's he's, uh, he's in shock and we may have to get an ambulance. Well, we didn't have to. After I got out of that, I recovered quite quickly. My arm was numb for several weeks. But forget that. Uh, What I'm thinking about is those poor people in Haiti, not three hours, not without any injury, not without any bad results, but losing their feet, losing their arms and hands. I guess if it didn't hit their extremities, it hit their body and they were killed. But I can't imagine to be stuck like that for days and days. But I'm so glad that there was relief. There was response. There was a lot of medical help. But I just have to hope and pray. And I was glad for the testimony of one of the young brethren here that that it did turn hearts to God.
and possibly in being trapped for hours or days, it gave opportunity to seek the Lord. You know, we don't know the way God works. And I think about that in regards to men like uh, Jackson. Um, We're not the only ones that can minister to Jackson. And the Lord has other resources that he may bring into play, but we just trust he will be faithful. His name was Andrew Jackson Palmer. That's what it was. Andrew Jackson Palmer. And he went by the name of Jackson, if you'd like to pray for him. We have the power to share. I want to go to Acts 6, um, verse 10. This was in regards to Stephen. Stephen was one of the, I believe they were deacons that were chosen there. And he began to testify, it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which was called the synagogue of the Libertines. The accent is on the B-E-R, strangely. And Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And this verse is the one I want. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, it's interesting who he might have been talking to, because Taurus was in Cilicia. Paul was from, do I say that right, Tarsus? Tarsus, that's right. thought there was something wrong. Paul was from Tarsus, and Tarsus was in Cilicia. And I firmly believe, with even without the evidence, I think Paul was one of them. Because later he was involved in the stoning of Stephen, holding their coats and all. And he was a man that wouldn't keep still, I'm quite sure. He would be in there disputing with Stephen if anyone would. But the point is, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. What about Paul later? He couldn't resist Stephen at that time. But later, when Paul had the Holy Ghost and the power of the Spirit, he was the one they couldn't resist. And we can have it too. That's what I wanted to tell us, that Stephen had it. Against Paul, Paul had it against his adversaries and we can have it too. We have a promise. And I believe that promise is in Luke 21, 15. Let's just turn to that. I kind of forget exactly what it says there. But uh, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, that is something that is to be put to use in the way you did it last night. Not to uh, prove a point, not to win an argument. When we talked with that man that didn't believe in the Trinity, something kind of rose up in me and I was really tempted to argue. And I know that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We have to be positive, but we do have the advantage and the access to this wisdom, which your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And the verse says before, says, Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. That again doesn't give excuse for not studying and not trying, but we don't have to know what they're going to ask or what we're going to ask answer if we're prepared. If we're led by the Spirit of God, we will have good answers.
And I think you experienced that last night for what I, from what I can tell. I already quoted this one, number three. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We have responsibility because we've been given so much. Will we be unashamed workmen? 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak to this to your shame. There was some among them that didn't have the knowledge of God. And I kind of wonder whether he was saying, you are to be ashamed because you didn't inform them better. Or was he saying that it's just too bad that among your number, speaking to those that don't have the knowledge of God, you don't have the knowledge of God. Either way, it's not good. We need to be careful and, and share what the Lord has given us. And it is a shame when we have some among us that have heard the gospel all our lives and yet don't seem to have the knowledge of God. That can be a shame, but we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel or of what God has done for us. I had some um, articles from the papers that I was going to share and I don't believe I will because they're kind of lengthy but the import of them was that people these days don't have respect they're losing that they don't have respect enough to dress properly even in fancy places uh, this article said they're in some of those fancy restaurants some of the rich men will come in with a baseball cap turned backwards and jeans on and that sort of thing they don't have respect they don't care and uh, I hope that we don't give that testimony. I don't think the sisters do. I'm not sure about you, brethren. I'm not sure. I, I think you could, you could dress a little more respectfully of the people around you. At least I see that in the young men around me and not necessarily Christian young men. I don't want to be hard on you, but I do want to encourage us all to have enough respect to, to give a good testimony of, of neatness and... Uh, well, we have a story in one of our readers that I read to the elderly people, and it's called The Hippie. And this maybe is counter a little bit to what I'm saying, but this hippie, he was dressed in jeans that hardly had, you could hardly see the original material. It was just patch upon patch, and his tennis shoes had splits in them, and he had long hair, and he came in and sat down on the bus. And there was in that bus a, a, a sad case, a lady that had her her little child with her and the child was sick and she had lost her husband and she was mourning. She was traveling from uh, way up in Washington down through the 99 on bus. And this hippie was the one that said, ma'am, can I help you? Can I care hold your daughter for you a little bit while you get some rest? And it, he was the hero of that story. And it's a good story because he challenged the rest of the people on that bus to helped this lady and they took up a collection and gave that to her and she was able to get off the bus and uh, get a doctor for her child. Some people were going to help her and uh, it just showed that, that there's something more than poor dressing. And I, maybe I'm countering what I say, but the most important part is to have the compassion. And I think we can dress respectfully too. The, one, the writer of this article had already, when he saw this man come in, he'd already made up his mind that this was a rebellious fellow and he just imagined what might be in his rebellious heart. But when he saw how he acted, 
it just changed his mind. We don't dare judge people that way. We've already heard this scripture, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And I thought of that in connection with what I'm saying about the deterioration of manners and dress in our time. This article said, you walk down the streets of some of these cities, and I, you saw it last night, the, the vacantness in the eyes and the carelessness, and uh, uh, talking on their cell phones, and, and uh, just out of where they were around the uh, community, they were not feeling any responsibility and probably no respect to those around them. <clears throat> he was just representing that as an indication of the times. In 2 Kings 7, 9, we have the story of those uh, lepers that were, cast, were out of the city. They couldn't go in the city and the city was being besieged. You know the story. And uh, the Lord... Uh, miraculously sent this army away and they left their tents and all the spoil and fled because they thought there was an army against them. And these lepers um, went out. They were giving up to this ar enemy army and they thought they would just be killed. They said, we're going to starve anyway. It won't be any worse. So it, they found these tents all empty and all the spoil there. And then they said, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. They had began gathering the spoil and taking it. And then he realized, we need to share this. Um, Carl Beck gives this as one of his incentives for sharing the gospel. We do not well. This day is a good tiding, a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. Romans 10.15 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Why are feet beautiful? I don't think feet are beautiful at all, but they're beautiful because they're carrying the person that's sharing the good news of the gospel. That's the way they're beautiful. <clears throat> Let's go down to number four about some of those who shared. And I've already spoken about this, about Ezekiel and John in Revelation 10 was, were asked to eat the roll. And it seems like this was preparation for them to speak. And in um, Isaiah, the coal was taken off the altar and touched to his lips. His lips were unclean and it looks to me like that was preparing him for preaching and speaking, carrying the message. What about us? We're not going to get our lips touched with a live coal. <clears throat> we're not going to have to chew down a, a roll, figure, uh, physically speaking, but figuratively, something like that has to happen because we have to have preparation to go out. That's what this symbolizes. That's what it was for. And we need preparation too. What kind of preparation do we need? Is this event helping? How many think it's helped? Preparation to go out and share the Word. I trust that's a reality and a truth for all of you. Now, the second one, I suppose most of you have heard about this boy that was asked to donate his blood for his sister. And his blood was the uh, identical type. It was just what they needed. And they came to this young boy, I suppose, eight or ten or maybe six or seven, and asked if he would be willing to donate blood for his sister. And he kind of gulped a little and he said, yeah, I will. 
And so they had him donating this blood. And he pretty soon he said, when am I going to die? He thought he was going to give it all. Wonderful example of a child who was willing to give up his life for his sister. Does some of that feeling kind of have to be in us as we go out and share the word? Giving up some of our pleasures, some of our selfish time. Wonderful example. Number three talks about a dusk to dawn light. And this reminds me of an experience I had when I was selling hardware. A man came in holding a, a fairly big globe, a light globe. It was a special one. It was a dusted on light. And uh, we didn't carry them. I just had to tell him we don't have them. And he said, I want to tell you the story of this globe. He said this was in on my house up fairly high where it could be seen. And it was went on at dusk and was on all night and uh, went off at dawn. Well, he said there was a, a young lady traveling the road. He was set back off far off the road, and I think I know about where it was that he was describing. Uh, he may have had a driveway, but where she had the accident between his house and where she had the accident, it was brush and fences and all kinds of obstacles. He said that she was in bad shape when she rode, She drove off the road. Her car was in bad shape. And she crawled out and the only hope she had, she, he said, she saw a light. And it was this light that he had on his house. And she fought her way through the brush, over the fences, and finally she arrived at this house where she could get help. I want to just say that you are like a light. And if you can be a beacon that can help someone through some rough places, and help that you can be one who can find help. The light globe itself didn't help her, but it was showing out light that did help. And you can too. You can show out the light of the Lord. He can use you, use us all, to uh, be that kind of rescue. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Possibly from some of, from that scripture, some have said, well, I don't have to go out. They're going to come and ask if they, if they want help. They'll ask. One was commenting on this. He said, how many times have you had people come to you and ask you to help them, to show them the gospel? How many times? It has to go out. You can't just be ready. This isn't enough, but it is, it is a requirement. We have to be ready. But we can't wait. We have to go out and contact people. And it's so important that we sanctify God in our hearts and that we approach them with meekness and fear. I'm thinking in the context of what we did last night. We need to go out. I probably, well, I know I haven't gone out near as much as I should have in my life. I've tried to witness where I go, but it's feeble at best, it seems like. But when we really want to go in the name of the Lord we can um, at least be in his will and uh, have results. I'm kind of impressed by this John Mark. He was uh, chosen to go with Paul and Barnabas and uh, just almost immediately they had gone to uh, 
that island, Cyprus was it? Was it Cyprus where they first started out on their missionary journey? It was one of the islands in the Mediterranean. And uh, then they went to the mainland where they were going to go to Derby and, and Lystra and those cities. And about there is where Mark said he wasn't going to go anymore. He left them. And he would have been able to travel back to Jerusalem or back to um, Caesarea probably where they were sent from. <clears throat> but the point is, he left. And I have some questions for us that I'd like to hear some discussion about. The first one I've written down, was he tired of being a minister or a servant? Who'd like to make some comment on this? Remember the setting. Mark was a young man. He was with Paul and Barnabas. And they were beginning a, a missionary journey. And they had already encountered this... Uh, I have him named here. This Elemus the sorcerer. And Paul had rebuked him. And uh, I think he's the one that was blind. Was that right? Was he blinded? I think so. Anyway, there was a miracle involved there. And Mark had seen this. Why did he... You think he was being tired? Getting tired of being a servant? Anyone think that? Or have you any comments about that? Well, let's go on if you don't want that question. Was he afraid seeing the power of God in conflict with this Elemus the sorcerer? Was he afraid? Maybe we'll go down these and then we can discuss them. Did he regret that he had left his friends? Some of this might come kind of close to us. Did he expect more recognition or preference or honor from uh, Uncle Barnabas or from Paul? He was Barnabas' nephew. Or was Mark looking for adventure in making the trip home alone? I could kind of relate to that because I would kind of I would kind of enjoy that, I think, in that setting. Probably went on foot. He might have gone on boat partway. But it was probably kind of neat to go back home. Um, can you relate to Mark? Did he do well? Was he an ashamed workman? I'd like to comment on this. What do you think was in Mark's mind when he went back? Because it might affect us if we can kind of understand this. Yes, uh, Caleb. I can maybe relate a little bit, and just the fact that it could be, it could be a temptation to me to a very real temptation to me to not be completely surrendered. That's probably what I'm thinking on that. Okay. Okay. Anything? Anyone else? Yes. Personally, I think he was scared. I think he turned around. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a contention about why to take him along. There was some problem, I think, that Paul didn't like. Mm-hmm. And that's why Paul didn't want to take him. The next time. That's what my feeling is. The next time when yeah. they... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard a brother say one time, he was very sincere, and I, so I'm still offered for consideration. He said, he said, no. He said, um, John went along with them. Or Mark went along with them. Mark went along with them so that he could experience the gospel in action. And then they sent him back. And he went back and he spent time with Peter and wrote the gospel at that point. And then, I don't know. And so he said Paul didn't want him to go because he still had no writing to do. I don't know. That's not recorded in Scripture. Neither is it that he got scared. But 
There was some reason why he went back, and it doesn't sound like it was a noble thing completely. Uh, yes, uh, Pete. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lazy. in the work anyway, whether it was... <laughs> um, uh, Brother Kurt, you, was it you that mentioned that uh, in regards to their uh, Paul and Barnabas separating, that the Holy Spirit had called them together? Was that part of your... Was it yours, Brother Joseph? No? Okay. Right. And that you said that Paul um, and Barnabas may have were chosen by the Spirit, and it wasn't quite the thing for them to separate. Uh, I had never heard that before, but it may be true. Oh, he was the one. Okay, we can talk about him then. (laughs) Well, I had never heard that. In fact, I thought that the the Spirit was was uh, interested in getting now two teams. Yes, Brother Chris. I just want to remind you, Brother Lester, you're being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brother Roman, I'll apologize. If you hear this. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd also like to go on and uh, have another question about was... Uh, was Paul's reaction right? Should Paul have taken back uh, Mark? Over in uh, the Acts when they were sent out again, um, do you think Paul should have taken him back? Was it right that he um, said, no, we don't want to take him? Barnabas took him, and you can kind of see uh, Barnabas might have been a little bit prejudiced because of his nephew here. But we feel like his his motives were probably a little bit beyond that. But uh, it wasn't Paul's nephew. But do you think he should have taken him back? That's what I'm trying to ask. Yes. I don't really know, but I think I have a hard time sometimes when I know someone's not going to help me. I have a hard time taking him back. Mm-hmm. I guess it's something like that. Do you think Black Lord is thinking he's not going to help me? Well, that might have been it. Yeah. Well, let's... Um, Let's look up some scriptures. Would you get uh, Acts 12.25 and uh, 13.5 in Acts and 13.13 in Acts and uh, 15.37 to 40? And let's just read those scriptures. There's scriptures about Mark, and we might even have some more here. 
Yeah, go ahead and read it. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, surname was Mark. Okay, 13.5 then. And when they were at Salinas, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they, all, they had also John for their minister. John was Mark, right. 13.13. Now when Paul and his company loosened from Paphos, they came to Perga and and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. Okay, 1537 to 40. Barnabas determined to take take with him John, whose surname was Mark. <coughs> but Paul thought it not good to take him with him, who departed from them from Pamphylon. He went not to them to the word. Okay, that shows the problem when Mark deserted. But now Colossians 4.10. Down on the end here. Um, And then we want uh, 2 Timothy 4.11, Dustin, and uh, 1 Peter 5.13. Yeah, would you read that one then? Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, who is you, and Marcus, sister son of Barnabas, cousin whom you receive, and you Sister's son to Barnabas. That shows he was Barnabas' nephew, doesn't it? Okay, number Second um, Timothy 4.11. Is that the one I said for you? Okay. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, for he is profitable to me. Okay, that was Paul's writings. Take Luke and bring Mark with thee. Is that what it says? Bring Mark with thee. He's profitable for me to the ministry. And then 1 Peter 5.13. The church that was at Babylon collected together with you, saluted to you, and so does Mark as my son. Okay, good. Um, there was a scripture I wanted to get here. Um, the last part of Colossians 4.10. Who read that one? Um, okay, read that again, please. The whole verse. Just the whole verse, yeah. Paris, Darkus, my fellow prisoner, who is you, and Marcus, sister, son, to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, Touching whom ye received commandments. I'm interested in that. Um, Paul had evidently given some commandments, some information about Mark. And he says, if he come unto you, receive him. You see, this was all worked out. And eventually, Mark became a, a faithful worker, approved of Paul, even perhaps helping Paul. And I just like that episode because it came out well, didn't it? And we don't have to answer, I guess, these questions that I put in here. Uh, that uh, why did or would, should Paul have received him again the second time, or or how? It we don't have to figure that all out. But Paul was now recommending Mark, and that's what I like. And then, how was Mark used? How was Mark used? Faithfully writing the gospel according to Saint Mark. We're just glad for that gospel. It's uh, it has its own treasures. Okay, we're getting toward the end of our talk here. 
What are some of the ways you have shared in the past? Now, I'm not thinking about just yesterday, but uh, what are some of the things you've shared, either physical or spiritual, who would like to just testify a little bit? I know you've all done things for other people, but would you like to just testify so that you can uh, uh, inspire someone else to do that? Yes. I think it's very important for us young sisters to get and help mothers that have children. Okay. I enjoy it. I, have, I work nights, and I only have to work three weeks to get my hours in. Okay. Uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and a lot of times I like to devote at least one of those to a mother who feels like a woman. Good. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Young sisters help mothers with children. They need help, all right. I yes, right. You do, and I enjoy having you help me. <laughs> yes, Dustin. I'd say a good way to share is just to share our time. Okay. And if somebody needs our time, we can just share with them and not just get caught up in, I have to do this, this, and this. But uh-huh. Okay. Be a friend. Right. And also, um, take time with older people. They really enjoy it. We've, they, they need, need help. As uh, I get older, I realize that more and more. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We can provoke to love and good works. And I have it noted here that that's the same word that's used in describing the contention between Paul and Barnabas. Um, I think the, con- the context is a little different and, uh, has maybe a little different use because it said there was sharp contention. Um, All right. um, Anyone else like to share uh, something that you've done? Yes. Um, Right now it's not very big, but instead of getting a full-time job like I could to come out of school, I am at home most of the time helping my mom and I volunteer to same hospitals at the last week. So just a lot of practical stuff I feel like the Lord's called me to serving underneath. Yes, there is in a program that our hospital has for uh, young volunteers, uh, teenagers, and uh, it's good. <clears throat> Anyone else? Yes. I, uh, Caleb. It was about four months ago, uh, before we opened at 8 o'clock where I work, and before that, a lot of people bring their car, we'll take them home and then bring their car back, and uh, an old lady pulled up one morning and I don't know what we're doing to the car, but um, she got out and my boss told me to take her home. And she got out and she's like, well, I better turn my music off. He probably won't like it. And I'm like, well, what is it? So she told me the station she was listening to. And she was like, it's Jesus music. And I was like, well, I listen to a very good station. Yeah. So anyway, we had a, a good conversation. And then uh, she bought a car and it. Nobody should ever buy it. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's really bad for her because she doesn't know that. But now she's, she's, uh, her husband's dead. She has no job. And she can't really get around very good. And it just floods me that she was a Christian. And the other day, um, she something happened to it that cost, I, it had to be at least $1,000. And it wouldn't run without being fixed, and she had another vehicle. So my boss paid for it up front, and then she's just paying for it under the table as 
the months go by until she can get paid for it. But I just put a little 20 or 30 here in, in here or there on her bill. You've helped there. She Good. Doesn't, she doesn't know it. So the goods and blessings that you said about older people. It was a blessing to see her excited for Jesus and that night. Well, that's great. That's I, I thought I just felt good about him. Yes. I think among many things that we can do, one thing that we're kind of um, we, we kind of awkward with sometimes is stopping along the road. People, one is hitchhikers, another one is is cars that are stopped. Uh huh. Um, hitchhikers, you can pick them up, you shoot Kathy body in. Strong young men, not for you girls. Don't don't pick up hitchhikers. There's danger in that. Yeah, you strong young men, if you want to do that once in a while, if the Lord leads you to do that, I don't see that it would really be wrong. But uh, there's been some awfully bad happenings when people pick up hitchhikers. Okay. Go labor on. We're through now. We'd like to turn to 547. This is my wish for you as young people. You're to be unashamed workmen, and that means labor, that means work. 547, go labor on. Someone else will need to lead this. I don't know this tune too well, but I'm sure it can be done.
to have one final prayer for you young folks. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we turn to you with thankful hearts. Lord, this has been a burden on our hearts, ministering to these dear young people. And Lord, we're just failing in it. We don't do it well always, but Lord, we pray that there's been some glory to your name and there's been some benefit to these young people as they go forth from this day and serve you in the kingdom. We pray that they will be successful, that they will yield to you in such a way that your spirit will direct them, direct them into paths of peace and holiness, and also paths of service that they will truly be unashamed workmen, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed that they belong to to you, Lord Jesus, not ashamed of you. And then when we come to meet you in glory, that you will not be ashamed of us, but that we will receive that crown of life that fades not away. We pray for your blessing upon us as we finish this series of unashamed workmen. May your name be honored and glorified. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you now. And the love of the Father be with you now and always. You're dismissed.